As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Check the backseat. Check the backseat. Hi, come here. Check the backseat. Gets in your head, right? Good, because every year dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them, but with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly, so get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. Building the Good Life with John Hope Bryant is brought to you by Prudential Financial. John, things are built in stages. I mean, we we always said in, in our relationship with Hope, you know, what we said we wanted our goal to be. We weren't necessarily going to be the largest donor, uh, uh, but consistent with our purpose of our company now, which is to inspire and build better lives and communities, what we said is we wanted to be first. We wanted to be yeah. inspirational. We wanted to do things that people could follow. Mm. We wanted to be, I'd say, a pebble in a pond. You know, you you said, no, I'd rather you be a boulder in a pond. Than a <laughs> uh, but right. that, that we do things that create ripples. Hi, this is John Hope Bryant, and this is Building the Good Life. I'm here with Bill Rogers, the chairman and chief executive officer of Truist. Truist is, last time I checked, sixth largest bank in America and growing. Bill Rogers comes with an incredible pedigree. He was, prior to this, president at Truist as a result of a merger. Before that, he was CEO of SunTrust Bank here in Atlanta, which is where I met him. Bill Rogers and I met in a quiet conference room while I was talking, so it wasn't so quiet, uh, with his predecessor CEO, Jim Wells, who was introducing us. And Bill didn't quite know what to make of the guy he was meeting, so he just sat there quiet and let me run my mouth and figured out to see if I was going to run myself into a ditch. And somehow, these two odd fellows became very dear friends. And I really consider Bill today a brother from another mother. Bill's just a lot lighter, that's all. Bill... What was it? What did you see in that conference room? And why didn't you run for the hills with your feet on fire when you met? Well, John, thank you. Thank you for uh, thank you for having me here. It's uh, great to be with you, friend. And uh, we have had a, we've had a long relationship, which is fantastic. And you described sort of the, the beginning of that relationship. You know, part of it, and you've said this a lot, part of it, you come with someone's endorsement, right? So Jim mm-hmm. Wells said, hey, I want you to meet this guy. So it sort of starts there. We all... I mean, that's part of the you know community that we live in and the way that we have to build opportunities for each other is make, is, you know, is make, make those introductions. Uh, and then, John, I think, you know, in fairness, all the conversation was always looking forward. It was never, you know, it wasn't backward looking. It wasn't, I want to condemn you for doing this or I want to criticize you for doing this, you know, in banking, but I want to work with you on how we can do things moving forward. It wasn't about, left or right politically, you know, those things weren't important. It's just how do we work together and how do we make communities better? And, you know, quite frankly, that's just, I mean, I just was drawn to that. 
Uh, and then, you know, John, I mean, you're, you got a little charisma and a little, uh, you know, a little magic of magic dust about you. And, uh, you know, that, that spilled over to, I'll admit that. Yeah. We, uh, we've got a bit of a man crush on each other. At least I'll, I'll admit my, my part. Uh, and he, he's, Bill is really a cool dude, which is a really interesting to say, thing to say about a banker, uh, and a bank CEO. This may be the first time and only time on, on mainstream media <laughs> that Bill Rogers or any top 10 CEO has been called a cool dude. But I but I will take that. Let me let me underscore that. That's not just some, you know, soft soap statement. We're gonna get into some real serious issues here today. I want you to understand how to build, which means you need to figure out how to get some money out of this guy and his bank to invest in your your dreams, to start a business, to uh, grow a business, to uh, build a home, to build a home uh, a, a, a home life, to uh, to grow your dreams, and which means you need to understand how to access. Um, all the opportunities and assets that they've got in his institution. So you need to understand how the game is played to be, uh, to be blunt. So we're going to get into that, but before we get into that, I think you need to understand why I love this guy so much. We have a lot of wonderful moments. This particular moment I didn't share with him, but I did view how he handled it. And I think this says everything about Bill Rogers. So, um, I got a call one day said, well, we just figured something out and we need to figure out what to do about it. Uh, the legacy bank that they acquired going back over a hundred years ago, uh, maybe even 150 years, look at the numbers, um, was involved in, as was almost every bank in that era, slavery. In fact, there is a bank, I won't name the name, it's not truest, uh, that actually found out they owned slaves. So this is like 150 years ago, it's just a just disgusting part of our history. And every banker I know who's, who has discovered some association with that past has run for the hills and tried their best to ignore the topic. Bill didn't run from it. He ran into it and dealt with it. Why, Bill, and what? What was, the, what was going through your head? And I thought your response was really quite honorable for my ancestors. So thank you on behalf of all those who came before me and how you do. But why, what did you do at that moment and why? Yeah, John, thank you. And I think, you know, as we were thinking about what the country was going through, particularly in the aftermath of, of George Floyd and, you know, being purpose-driven, we had to think about what's our role? I mean, what do, what do we want to say? What do we want to do, not only within the four walls of our company, but outside? How do we want to represent ourselves? And being, you know, two uh, financial institutions that came together that were born in the South over 100 years ago, I mean, we sort of start, said, you know, the place we've got to start, we have to acknowledge our history. You know, the, the benefits that our company received, uh, you know, through the efforts of enslaved people is just irrefutable. I mean, that, that just is it's just there. I mean, the businesses that we bank, the communities that we served, uh, I'm sure, you know, some of the executives that led our companies. I mean, just those are just real things. And, yeah. you know, particularly, you know, we sit here in Black History Month, it's important to have that conversation. And we said, well, the first thing we have to do is acknowledge it. We have to acknowledge yeah. that to our teammates. We have to acknowledge it to our broader community. Uh, and then, John, you were nice enough to work with a, you know, a group of leaders, just fantastic leaders, unbelievable that they would all say yes. 
And we went and said, help us, help us talk about this and let's make sure we're thinking about things the right way and looking forward, but looking forward and acknowledging our past and like everyone should learn from our past and let's figure out how to not make, not, you know, we're obviously not going to make that mistake again, but how do we not make mistakes again and how do we mm-hmm. lean forward? And as a result of that, you didn't just give, provide platitudes. And by the way, for the listening audience, I don't think you've ever heard <laughs> a top 10 bank CEO in the history of America without 15 handlers around them form a sentence that had slavery in it <laughs> and, and uh, not flinch. That's Bill Rogers. He is, um, look, a saint is a sinner that got up. You, you want to find some fault with Bill Rogers? Yeah, you'll find it. it just ask his wife, <laughs> who I know. You want to find some fault with John O'Brien? You'll find it. Ask my wife. I guarantee you she'll give you, she'll give you plenty of fodder. Or ask my friends or my, you know, whatever. We're, we're, we're none of us perfect, right? But the question is not what happens to you, but how did you respond to it? And life is 10% what life does to you and 90% how you respond to it. I'm always looking for the response because the problems are going to be there. Our history in this country is just messy. I mean, it's just democracies are messy. Capitalism is messy. And free enterprise is messy. But but freedom of opportunity should be assured. And Bill responded with the bank by making an incredible commitment to all things I believe that matter. In massive investments in HBCUs. I'll let him uh, get into that, hopefully, in part of this conversation. Massive investments in institutions, uh, not just of higher learning, but nonprofits, community-based, who are making a difference around what I call social justice through an economic lens in the underserved communities. Um, a $20 million investment I, I, for some reason, I keep wanting to say $40 million. Maybe I'm being aspirational, Bill. A $20 million investment in Operation Hope um, to allow us to expand uh, the Hope Inside locations within the Truist uh, branch network. Um, we will probably end up being half of all, in, in half of all Truist branches. They have 2,000 bank branches. That means we'll be into 1,000 branches. That's transformational. Um, that's game-changing. And in many ways, it's a direct response from the banking industry to what Abraham Lincoln was dreaming about with the Freedmen's Bank in 1865, March 3rd, when he created a bank chartered to quote to teach free slaves about money and domicile their savings. Now, you may not know that history, but it exists. It's been lost to history because Lincoln was killed the next month. Uh, the, free, the, the vision for 40 acres was January 1865. Look that up, Field Action 15. Uh, a mule. We worked that land so hard. Secretary of War Stanton and General Sherman said, my God, they're so industrious. They, African-Americans, give them a mule. That's like saying invest in a tractor. 40 acres and a mule, January, February, 1865. March came the Freedmen's Bureau Act, which was hospitals and institutions of higher learning, which led to HBCUs, historically black colleges, universities. And the Freedmen's Bureau also created the Freedmen's Bank. Unfortunately, Abraham Lincoln was killed in April the next month. And that mission, that vision was lost for 150 years. I covered the, the, the history in my book, The Memo, and we're going to get into a story in a minute. A, a bet that Bill Rogers lost with me. Yeah, at uh, time. I wonder if we were going to go there. <laughs> uh, but you know, just to finish, finish this serious comment, they made this investment, just in my example, into the Hope Inside Network, which is raising credit scores, getting people access to capital, letting people start businesses and become homeowners who 
people who look like me and others uh, to give them a hand up and not a handout. I believe in the James Brown version of affirmative action. Open the door, I'll get it myself. And then they invested also in the One Million Black Business Initiative, 1MBB, uh, which is a lead commitment from Shopify at $130 million. They came behind it at Truist and said, let's create new black business in America. So I think that this is the rainbow after the storm, at least as it relates to how Truist has stood up. I want to see other banks follow uh, Bill's lead. Now, Bill, uh, you and I have had moments, uh, one of which I, I don't know if you remember. I think you do because I, just, I j- jabbed you about it about a month ago. I was in your office. Um, you were the first to give me a shot at an institution, a major institution, putting hope inside in one of your bank branches. You told me initially not to ask you for money, let you control the budget. I thought you were being cheap, by the way, uh, and, um, and, you, and to trust you. I trusted you. We put five or 10 locations in your office, and then we went from that to 25, and now we're looking at 1,000. So that bet was right. But I remember the first time I actually got some money out of you. I mean, some real money. A million dollars. Do you remember that, Bill? I do, John. Yes. <laughs> and I came in your office to get the check. Now, this is back. Look, a million dollars is always a lot of money. But this is when I had never seen a million dollar check in my life. And I was coming to pick my check up for Operation Hope. million dollars. And I'm in Bill's office. And I mean, I'm into it. I, Bill, I have a dream. I sound like Dr. King Jr. Uh, Junior, Junior. I had a dream. I oh, fake. I mean, not a very good doctor. I, I, I want to do this. I have a, I, do you, Bill, Bill, do you remember what you told me? You're, John, you're going to have to do it on your own. <laughs> Bill, doesn't, Bill won't cop this. I'm running my mouth. I'm running my mouth. Bill said, John, no, we're friends. John, please take yes for an answer. Take the million dollars and get out of my office before I change my, my mind. <laughs> Don't talk past the clothes. This is a good. This is a good lesson for up and coming entrepreneur. Don't talk past the clothes. <laughs> Don't get ahead of your skis. Bill was like, "I got another meeting. The checks, you know, the check will clear, but you got to leave my office." How, how, why is that important for? We you know we're friends, and it was it was joking, but that's actually a very good lesson for people, Bill. Why less is less more important in business and in banking? Well, I mean. If- John, things are built in stages. I mean, we we always said in, in our relationship with Hope, you know, what we said we wanted our goal to be. We weren't necessarily going to be the largest donor, uh, uh, but consistent with our purpose of our company now, which is to inspire and build better lives and communities, what we said is we wanted to be first. We wanted to be yeah. inspirational. We wanted to do things that people could follow. Mm. We wanted to be, I'd say, a pebble in a pond. You know, you you said, no, I'd rather you be a boulder in a pond. Than a <laughs> uh, but right. that, that we do things that create ripples and yeah. use our company, use our relationship Your to, clown. yeah, to get on the edge of innovation and to do, and look, not everything we've done is worth perfectly, by the way. We know that. I mean, things we've done, we sort of thought, well, that didn't work that great. Uh, and then other things that we've started, we've learned how to scale together. And that's the that's the magic of doing well is anybody can innovate small. That's, that's actually not that hard. But innovating at scale and innovating for purpose, that's really, really hard work. And so to your point of, you know, the point was there is don't, don't, sell all the ripples let's get the pebble in the pond first and then let's figure out figure out what they're doing what are they creating right and i think also 
if you're an up and coming entrepreneur, a business person, a dreamer, you start with selling this dream and you, you really, all you have at that moment is your mouth and your hustle. That, that's very valuable. But when you're in front of a banker, you have to understand they're like, can, if there's an end to this story, can we please start there? <laughs> Don't use 20 words when two will do. You're going to make the banker nervous. I'm serious. Like you, you'll, you keep talking, you will freak bankers out because the entrepreneur is like on going on fire, but the banker is conservative. The banker, you know, the entrepreneur is trying to drive down the road. The banker is trying to keep you on the road. And if you start talking so much and you're, you're excitable, you're hitting the roof, you're, you know, you look like you're on a controlled substance or an uncontrolled one. You actually might talk yourself out of a deal. The banker might actually, because it's about texture and, 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 and your, you know, are you, and I don't want to say stable, but are you, are you grounded? Are you going to leave that office and go buy a Ferrari and, a, and three Bentleys and a, and, and go and get on private jets and lose your mind versus being mindful of your business plan. They want you sober. I don't mean, I don't mean legally sober. They want you to have sort of a, a straight ahead, unimpeachable, unshakable commitment to what you told them you're going to do with that money. Bill, is that right? I, I think, I think that's right, John. But don't, don't throw bankers out, you know, completely. And that we want to, <laughs> we want to, we want to understand what the future is and what the vision is, but our job is also to protect the downside, you know, right. and to understand, you know, how the foundation's being built. We, we want to hear what's going to be built on the foundation. Absolutely. That's exciting. That's why we're in this business. Matter of fact, that's why I love being a banker. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we want to understand how strong the foundation is. You know, if you right. want to build a skyscraper on it, then it's got to be pretty darn strong. Right. Uh, and we need to understand that. But don't 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 throw us out of the vision category. Yeah. Well, you know, but Bill is a Bill is a bit of an outlier. This is that he really does want to hear, as you just heard from his own mouth, your dreams. But I, I've met enough of folks who are just they want to be they want to be first and second place. They 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 don't want to. They the capital for them is a coward. They want the safest place to hide. They and you know if if they've never seen an African American in my case male come in looking for big figures, big numbers, you know, they may be looking at the nuances, the subtleties and, um, and the little things and not just your, you know, your collateral and your application in front of you. And so you got to be able to work the, 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 the magic of what kind of culture you create in their head that matches your business plan. And, uh, don't just bank on the, on, you're going to meet a Bill Rogers. Uh, in fact, hope for the best, expect the worst and condition your mind for whatever happens. You know, Dr. Heen didn't go to the mall and say, I have a dream that GDP will grow by 2% a year. But <laughs> that is, that is what bankers have to hope for. And so I think you've, you've got to be able to understand the role of everybody and America would not be America without banking. You can't grow communities without banking. Uh, so we need to understand what their criteria is and their stresses and uh, as you want them to understand yours, I'll say this one last thing. and We'll get back to a couple of things I want to share with the audience. But I, I remember a rapper was complaining about, uh, Oh, this bank could do it. It's bad to me. And you know, they foreclosing on my stuff. Wait, wait a minute. You weren't upset when you wouldn't got the loan, when they gave you the loan for the, for the mansion and they gave you the loan for the car, you but when you lost your money and didn't pay the loan, all of a sudden now the banker's a bad person. Look, you don't pay me back. I'm going to be upset with you. <laughs> so I think that we 
have to understand the delicate role that banking plays in society and understand how to make that system work for us, which is why at Operation Hope we're getting credit scores up 54 points, working with, that's some of the work we're doing together, Bill, by the way, and right. getting and 100, it's at 54 points in six months, 120 points in 24 months, and nothing changes your life more than God or love of the moving your credit score 120 points because the banker cannot tell you yes for a dream for a small business below 700 credit score, generally speaking, because it's considered a risky credit. But they'll never tell you that because bankers, you know, might get sued for 9,000 things as in regulations. But I'm telling you, you've got to get to a point where the banker can, can afford to say yes to you. And Truist is trying to lean back in to say yes to you. By the way, they're not a sponsor of this show. I'm getting nothing out of this. I'm just telling you, I believe that they are walking their talk. Bill, before we get into the mission and all that, I have to rib you. We had a bet. We did. (laughs) Would would, Would you like me to just just do it, John. Just yes, I would actually. I've got to own the fact that I. I, I would. I, I I would because of the, the sixth largest CEO okay, in America. I'll, I'll, I'll own it. Right. So, um, John was telling me about this vision of the Freedmen's Bank, uh, and and look, in fairness, I had to go look in history to the Freedmen's Bank. So you know, but so the concept was just fantastic of the Freedmen's Bank, and John, you really. Um, you know, had a vision for how to talk about this from that concept. So I spent a lot of time trying to understand. And uh, and then you told me you had this plan uh, that you were going to get a building at Treasury named after the Freedmen's Bank. Well, I, I've worked a lot in D.C. and I know how things work and I know the speed at which things go. And um, and you had a timeline upon which you were going to do this. And uh, I just told you you couldn't get it done. And right. that you really should go spend your time doing some other things. And, you know, <laughs> you're tilting in windmills and this just isn't going to be helpful. Right. Uh, and I bet you a full dollar, I right. think, was the bet. Uh, I want my dollar. I, I've given you your dollar. It's oh. too far away. So. <laughs> I always pay. Uh, and uh, not only did it happen, not only did, did it get named, but I, and I also promised you that if it happened, I would go. And whatever celebration mm. there was, whatever that I, that I that I would be there, but I remember not only that it happened, that was fantastic. But the meeting that um, that you and I were able to go to uh, with uh, you know two two of my heroes, um, Ambassador Young and CT and Vivian, yeah. and and sit there with you know at the time Secretary Lou, and we went all through the formal stuff. But the you know, the point you, you and I've talked about this before, the PhD class, though, that I got in the civil rights movement, and the only time in my entire life I've heard John Bryant not have a word to say was when <laughs> you and I came back and, and spent time with those two fantastic leaders, and both of us just sat back and listened to, to them. And John, in terms of, you know, probably the most impactful, whatever it is, three hours of my life, that, that might have been it right then. So the dollar bet with you was interesting. Uh, the Friedman Bank part was fantastic, but just to have a chance to sit at the, you know, the cradle of the civil rights movement and understand not only what happened, but was what was going to happen, what the future was, and you know, trying to develop some personal ownership and and what those great men got started. 
Amen. And Ambassador Young and God rest his soul, Reverend C.T. Vivian, uh, were literally right there for the second um, Reconstruction, the civil rights movement in this country. I think we're in the third Reconstruction right now, which I believe is social justice through an economic lens. But they were they were the, part of the architectural framework for this country, and we owe them a debt. And thank you for recognizing um, their contribution, Bill. And what you just said, I think, is instructive for listeners on building a family, raising children. Because you didn't just pat me on the head and give me platitudes. You said what you believed. I don't think this is going to work. <laughs> You're wasting your time. Uh, love is not always patting somebody on the head and telling them what they want to hear. Now, you put more fuel in my, my belly to go get it done, by the way, by saying that. So you were actually helpful. <clears throat> but we have to understand that I'd, re- I'd, re- I'd much rather people respect me and learn to like me than like me and never respect me. And that's the role of a parent. You, your kids may not like you. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> they may not like what you're saying to them. That's okay. You're doing it for their best interest. You're giving them the tools they need to succeed in society. And Bill gave me good instructions on what he thought. And by the way, he was right on how Washington works. So I went into Washington knowing that all odds were against me and knowing I couldn't go through the front door, write letters and do a petition and all this stuff. I had to find another business plan to become the only person in, in American history to rename a building on the White House campus. And so even in Bill telling me he, that I couldn't do it, he was being a friend and being a mentor and being an advisor. So don't I learn to take no for vitamins is what I'm telling. But I also, John, told you I'd be there if you got it done. And you sh- <laughs> so, and you kept your commitment and you showed ahead. up. Right. Right. And I got a free uh, I got a free ride in the jet. Me and me and Reb Basher Young and CT and CT and CT Vivian, we all had a, a wonderful time. Listen, a lot of what I think, Bill, your character comes from comes from your parents. And I if I remember right, your grandparents. So people this perception that oh, Bill is the CEO of this big one of the largest banks in the world. He's wealthy. He's never had a problem in the world. That's just not true, isn't it, right? But Bill, you, your, your grandfather was, I think, a, either a pharmacist or a shopkeeper in Atlanta. Is that right? Well, actually, uh, John, in, in North Carolina. North Carolina, in, okay. I grew, up in, I grew up in Durham. And actually, I only knew one grandparent. My mother's parents passed before, uh, before I was born. And my grandfather actually died when my father was 10. But I, you know, I got to see, and John, you asked me about this. I'm not always comfortable talking about my own personal history because uh, mm. this is all about teams and not about one person. But I, when my father passed away um, a little while ago, and I got to, I got to looking through. I, I knew the history, and I knew, you know, how hard he worked, and you know, having lost his father at 10 years old. But, but he gave me a picture album. And it just brought it home to me as I saw this flipping through these pictures. And, you know, before he passed away, he married when he was older. He was World War I veteran, very successful pharmacist. They, you know, they were the local pharmacist. That was the big deal in town. And, mm. uh, you know, all the pictures of uh, beaches and parties and, you know, trips. And then all of a sudden they just stopped and there wasn't <laughs> another picture. Uh, and that was just an, you know, an awakening that in the, you know, in your concept of building the good life, there wasn't, there wasn't planning, there wasn't financial planning, there wasn't buy sell agreements, there was they didn't do insurance and all that stuff. So they went from living a, you know, really good life, 
father and his and his two sisters to you know they they had nothing. Mm. Yeah, you know, my grandmother was a emergency room nurse and um, at the VA hospital, and they took in boarders and everybody got a job, and you know mm. life changed. And you know this is the message that you know John and Operation Hope has been talking about is it's not it's not about having the good life, it's building the good life. And then there's a second sequel, which is protecting the good life. Right. You know, and right. that was just a strong visual for me that that's an important part of this part of this context. And and clearly this is about teams at Truist and what you do, that's the way you roll. I understand that you you I can't find anything where you've been out front taking credit for anything is going to drag you got to drag you to the spotlight because I think the world needs to see people like you it always frustrates me Bill that all the all the loud people are idiots I mean not all of them but I mean all the all the mean nasty mean-spirited <laughs> angry so-called leaders they're loud and they're good at marketing and then all of the great guys and ladies they're sort of meek and you know, understated and they want to Way to see them, and and I I think I really think we need to flip the script here. We need some good guys and ladies who take the point and say, no, look, here's another business plan of what works. Hope wins, and rainbows follow storms, and the universe is backing hope and love and compassion and empathy and and joy and belief. Hope. I mean, the universe is backing that in your story. Granddad had um, hit a wall. The family had to pivot, but you 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 believed, and the universe backed that belief, and you ended up okay. And I think you have empathy and compassion for others because of that. Am I right about that? Well, yeah, John. But I also recognize you know they also weren't denied access to anything. You know, yes. so you know, so you know, it was tough. But by the way, you know, the color of their skin, uh, the places they were helped, you know, yep. so they, they were able to get an education. They weren't denied a job. They weren't denied access to, to something. So you also have to recognize that, too. I think these this, you know, goes together. There's a lot of learning and everything. And I hope I hope the listeners can play back. I hope, you know, first of all, I hope nobody swerved off the road when they just heard this very prominent man acknowledge his privilege. Um, he didn't say it in that way, but that's this is this this is what he said: is being Caucasian helped his family. It was it was a, it was a credit card, a credit line that was unarticulated. Whereas if you're black or you're brown or you're woman or whatever, the struggle was harder. The struggle was real. It's, it's, you know, and he's acknowledging that. That's also part of leadership. This sense of decency. How important is that for your, how you lead, Bill? I mean, John, I think the, the whole concept of, you know, for us leading a, leading a purpose-led company, you know, we, we use the words trustworthy, we use the words care, uh, we use the words one team. I mean, th those are all synonymous for decency is, you know, you've got to be a good citizen of the world as sort of a starting point. I mean, you can't, you can't, uh, you know, you can't affect change if you don't come at it from a, you know, a core value system. We, we at our company, John, I mean, we ask everybody to articulate their own personal purpose. 
You know, mm. we have a company, we have a company purpose, which is to inspire and build better lives and communities. But we asked everybody to talk about their own purpose. Why are they here? What's their why? What why is, what mm. are they trying to accomplish? And you know, you'll always find in the in the Venn diagrams, you know, that overlap each other, there'll be a connection with your personal purpose and the company's purpose. That's when it really comes alive, or that's when the engine really starts going. But it's yep. just equal. It's equally important, we think, for to everybody rec- to recognize. For us, we have fifty-two thousand individuals. <laughs> they all have a you know a personal purpose, a why of some type, and for them to be able to share that with each other, you know, share that with their teammates, share that with their clients, uh, and then articulate how it fits in terms of what what the overall company is trying to accomplish. I think that's when everybody realizes, you know, the the the, the purpose of their work and the purpose of their lives. Yeah. And, and, and that's what matters at the end of the day. Right. I mean, that's the, when we, you know, when the proverbial, you know, obituary is written, you know, we want it to be about the purpose of our lives, not the yeah. job that we did. And yeah. when they can come together, which we think we can accomplish at truest, that's the, that's the magic for us. Building the Good Life is brought to you by Prudential Financial. For over 145 years, millions of people have counted on Prudential to help solve for life's most important financial needs. Because at Prudential, they live their purpose to make life better by solving for the financial challenges of our changing world. Prudential's Who's Your Rock campaign is also about helping people reach new heights and providing a platform for people to reach their financial goals. Yeah, and the rubber meet, met the road a couple times I saw in that regard. Recently, you guys joined Financial Literacy for All, again, co-chaired by me and the CEO of, of Walmart, Doug McMillan. And um, you guys said it to your associates, if you go through this financial wellness program, I believe you guys call it the On Up movement, that we will, the company, invest in your financial well-being. And I think it was something like $700, give or take, per individual who went through this programming you'd set up an account for them, basically a rainy day account, a rainy day fund for, for, you know, in case they stumble like everybody else does. And this is important because 65% of Americans pre-pandemic did not have $40 for an unplanned event. That's a big deal. Did I get that number right, Bill? 700 bucks? Yeah, well, you're, you're, you're right, John, you're right at it. And, you know, we, we, had this view that we wanted to do this for our communities. We got all these statistics, all the things that you talked about, those who don't have enough save for an emergency. And those things have the ripple effect. That's a, you know, I can't fix my car. I can't go to my job. I get to lose my job. I can't fix my car. I can't go to class on time. I drop out of school. I mean, these people think it's these big events. It's small events. That, mm-hmm. that That's the opposite effect of the ripple effect we talked about. That's the pebble that can create the ripples that can destroy someone's life. And, we just, you know, and the mistakes that CEOs make, you know, I presume that, you know, we would be different with our, you know, with our teammates. And, you know, we did a lot of study and they were under the same financial stress. And that's just logical. That's not surprising. That's not, you know, meant to condemn them. It's meant to support them that, that yes, they're under the same kind of financial stress. So we started this for our own company. Uh, and then, you know, joining with uh, with you and Doug was great because we started this with with other companies as well. I mean, we've got well over 300 companies that we work with them and and provide, you know, basically at cost. I mean, 
you know, this same opportunity for them to do that for, uh, you know, for their employees and, and, you know, great chances to partner with, uh, with you and with other organizations and trying to, trying to, trying to do this. I think this concept of employer well-being, you know, sort of tie the paycheck and the education together, I think is really, really powerful. Mm-hmm. I think this is as important. I think financial literacy is a civil right issue of our, of our generation. Um, we got to reaffirm the right to vote, of course. But I bet it's, I think the color is not black or white or red or blue; it's green, as in the color of U.S. currency. We need more of we need more of it, and we, they need they need to understand how to use it versus having it use them. And uh, and this financial literacy for all movement is, I think, part of that. I think this is what healthcare was 20, 30 years ago: financial well-being in the in the workplace, uh, and then going into schools and so on and so forth all of which you and I have talked about on the, the, on the occasion of black history month, but also extending throughout the year, because this is evergreen, people will be continuing to listen to this story. Um, I think bill, we're sitting in a moment in history right now, challenge me on this. I think that this is a one in 100 year opportunity we have right now to create a change in this country and by extension, a change in the world. I think that the new movements in the suites, not just the streets, civil rights, as you know, I call it, not civil rights, not just civil rights. I think that this is about social justice through an economic lens. So if that is the question, and if you don't totally disagree with it, what are some of the things that you and Truist are doing right now and in the future to affect social justice through an economic lens? Well, I, I do agree, John. And, you know, we talk about core core issues like voting rights and critical, but the the Financial education and financial, um, you know, competency are the table stakes and the currency to participate, you mm. know, in, in this economy. And you know, mm. we we have a you know we have a strength in the economy, but the ability to do it where it is more inclusive. If just a few of us win, you know, that's not winning. Uh, you know, winning's got to be an environment where we're all focused on the denominator, not the numerator of this equation. You know mm. the the goal is to expand the, you know, to expand as, as many people as possible that can participate uh, in this great American dream. And this, you know, John, you talk a lot of it's all building life, but the core foundational elements of that are just, you know, grounded in, in you know, in, in, in financial education and expanding that to be financial inclusion. I yes. think I think we got to take the topic a little bit further because I think saying financial education alone might be a little bit of a cop out, right? You know, uh, so I think so. As I start thinking about it and talk about it, it's just a lot more about financial inclusion and making sure that more people are participating in this process. So part of what we do through Truist Momentum is uh, is is I think you know a, a big part of that. You know, that what we do and and you know, part of our part of our merger. I mean, part of our merger was creating a $60 billion, you know, community benefits plan. And on the surface, that sounded like a really big number. And, uh, but, but to be able to, you know, create affordable housing, to be able to, you know, to, to operate in, in open locations and communities that need us most, to provide digital access to the communities that need us most, to provide broadband uh, for, you know, locations and people to, to experience, you know, all this digital revolution that's happening, not only in their classroom, but in their bank. Um, those are all parts of that parts of that component and trying to make sure that we're 
providing the core skills, capabilities, access, and inclusion to everything that is part of this, you know, fantastic American dream that we all want to benefit from. Yeah, you brought, you've also brought uh, people of color into your executive ranks, Dante uh, Wilson being one of them, I forget his title, but I know he's in the C-suite there, Um, and um, and women. Uh, So also your your uh, your board and your management team. Uh, I know this person. There's a black female on your board of directors. Uh, there's a black male on your board of directors, I believe, as well. So you're sort of living living your truth. What as we wrap up here? Uh, two two things. What um, do you want the audience to know, listeners to know about what Truist is doing? And by the way, I was wrong on the name. I told you I thought this name stuck. I said, I don't know why you picked it. I don't know why you changed the name from the name. I, why you picked Sun Trust? It was a great name, legacy name. I, this is ridiculous. What's this up with this color? I was wrong about it all. The color is cool. It's sexy without being overwhelming. The truest is unique. It builds on the word trust, in my view. Uh, I don't know. You know, I don't know that for a fact, but I, I know. Uh, I know that's what I think about. I think so. Just full acknowledgement. You, you acknowledge one, I'll take one on the chin. I was wrong, Bill. You were right. So, so what do you want the audience to know about what's coming, what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, John, I think the, this whole concept of being a, being a purpose-led company, it, it has to impact the decisions that you make. It has to impact who you hire. Uh, John, we have a very diverse board. You've given us a narrow definition. We've got a very diverse leadership team. We committed to, uh, you know, being in excess of 15% of our senior leaders of being, being diverse in three years, we did it in two years. And I made the comment, that's just like the beginning. That's just like the table stakes. I mean, you just have to start there as creating the momentum to create an environment. So, you know, a couple of things I'd want people to know about us is one is we're a fantastic place to work. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we're a, we're a company that you can come and be your whole self. You can, you don't have to be somebody different. We want your, we want your, you know, diverse, you know, opinions. We want to be a company that's inclusive, that people are going to have a fantastic career and grow here. And, uh, you know, the only, the only, you know, thing that's going to get in their way is their own performance, you know, their own ability to, you know, to deliver and do it in a, do it in a purposeful way. Uh, and we want to have that same view with what we're doing in the, in the community. We made a decision recently that I think was totally aligned with purpose. Uh, And it's a product called Truest One, which is everybody can say, well, you're not going to have an overdraft product. Uh, That's, that's a simple way to say that. But remember, if you know, if you're not, if you don't have overdrafts, that means the check or the payments getting returned. Ah. People people sort of lose that as a concept. So we say, well, look, let's actually look at what's really important to clients uh, and, but, and by the way, Bill, let's just define let's, overdraft means literally. Uh, yeah, I, I overdrew my account. I had a hundred dollars in, and I and I wrote a hundred fifty dollar right. check. You know, right. just gotcha. to, or, or, or or a digital payment. Gotcha. Um, and 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 so we sort of thought about well, what to our earlier concept. People are, uh, you know, on the cutting things close, and what's most important to them. So instead of saying just not overdraft fees, which we've said. This will save clients three hundred million dollars a year, which is fantastic. Over the course of all this, is all this is gets underway, but we also created a hundred dollar buffer that said, "Okay, no matter what happens, you sort of get a hundred dollar buffer, 
and the opportunity to have back to our $750 in terms of emergency to have a $750 sort of emergency credit line. So it's not only that I'm not getting charged for the overdraft, that's an important component, but my check's not getting returned. My rent check, my grocery bill, my school bill, whatever it is, is so I I think the, the, the concept of, and not that it's one product or one thing, but as a company, we're trying to make decisions from a purposeful perspective. You know, do, do, they, do they make a difference? Are they meaningful? Uh, and, and the whole concept of, you know, you know, doing well by doing good, we're fundamental believers in that. I mean, we're a, you know, we're a for-profit company. There's no doubt about that. But that doesn't mean we can't generate, you know, activity by being fantastic citizens of, of the communities that we serve. Amen. 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 As we wrap this up, and this has been a fantastic conversation with Bill Rogers, CEO and chairman of Truist, six largest bank in America. As we wrap this up, Bill, it's pretty list of leaders who are, you've now, we spoke, we've now spoken to wannabe builders. I'm building, going to build. We, we spoke to family builders, a lot of different categories here, strivers. There's some leaders listening to this, Bill. As the last question, there, there's some leaders listening to this, big companies. They want to know, how do I embed purpose in my business plan? Can I do well and do good, or is this just a Bill Rogers thing? What do you have to say to them in closing, Bill? Well, I mean, there are you know, lots of fantastic leaders, and, and I, I think the first place to start is just start with your own personal why. You know, why, why am I doing this? <laughs> what, mm. what, am, what am I here for? Uh, then start with, then, you know, translate that into then what's the company's why? You know, why, why, why are we doing this? We're not... Yeah selling manufacturing and selling widgets what is it that the widgets do what do the widgets support uh, how do they make a difference so do you know what do they create that that provides value somewhere down the line and try to make those connections uh, and then once those connections are made and if they're not made by the way then go make them mm. you know so, right so if they're not made go make them because yep. maybe maybe the, you know you've got an opportunity to expand your product line or your capability or service line to, 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 to do that. Um, and then, and then once that happens is create the momentum around that and communicate around that. And I think that's what, I think, I think fundamentally people want to work for companies that want to stand that stand for something. People want to do, people want to do business with companies that want to stand for something. You know, people want to do business with a company that's, you know, they're somebody shoulder to shoulder with them in the community when they look around and see who's, you know, uh, you know, handing or, or in, in the line, you know, dispensing something and they look and say, oh, that's a purple truest sweatshirt. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. That's pretty cool. They're right here with me. We're doing this right. together. Right. So I think I think it's just building all that and then just making it making it not a, if it's a slogan or a marketing item, you've lost your way. You know, mm-hmm. if it's how we make decisions, is it, do we, are we always asking that question? Uh, then I think we're on the path and we're all on the journey, by the way. I mean, I feel like I'm rounding first base in this purpose journey you know i mean i just think i'm just like i'm just getting started and learning from others and uh you know seeking out leaders and others who are who are leading purposeful organizations john you're one i saw you know what you do in your businesses for example your businesses that aren't hope you know your racing business and your home preservation businesses they all have broader context you know it's it's not about racing you know it's about it's about creating an inclusive environment Right. It's just just so happens to be something you're interested in. But it's you, so, you know, you 
exemplified is build the why around whatever it is you're doing. I think I, I think maybe it's if I can encapsulate it. Maybe it's that simple. This has uh, been a great forty minutes with one of the signature leaders in banking and financial services in the world because America is the largest economy in the world. The sole superpower still in the world. So when you say he's the sixth largest bank in America, you're saying something about his place in the world. And so what he does here and what the Truist family does here can um, amplify uh, around the world like in like step. And uh, I'm proud to call Bill Rogers my friend. Um, he's not perfect, but he's perfectly my friend. And uh, what, you, what you can count on is what he means what he says. He says what he means and he'll never lead you astray. Uh, and by the way, if you didn't catch that, they're hiring. So if you need a job, a job, <laughs> head over and get yourself an application. They are hiring. I'm, let me tell you something. They are paying what we call a living wage. <laughs> so go join the middle class. Okay, you just heard Building the Good Life with Bill Rogers, Chairman and CEO of the sixth largest bank in America, Truist, uh, and my friend. And this is the master class. And what he, he told you and what you should have learned from that is that we're actually, is actually somewhat spiritual. We're not human beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a human experience. And we're all living our childhoods. No matter where you are, wherever you come from, you're influenced by how you grew up and then, then look at how you're influencing others. Watch how you look. You live your life. It may be the only Bible that anybody else reads. He was influenced by his grandfather and the struggle of his mother and the fact that his brothers and sister had to go get a job when they had this wonderful, cushy life. And, 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 and the fact that as they were coming up, they were they had privileges and access because they were white um, that uh, black people and other people don't have. Uh, and he recognizes that life was for him, while tough, would have been much tougher uh, had he not had those embedded privileges. He's not guilty about it, but he does feel a responsibility. As Ambassador Andrew Young would say, it's not his fault that he was born black. Is that another white person's fault or responsibility that they were born white? But it is all of our responsibility to take this moment and to improve the software of our existence for others who come after us. And that is what Bill is trying to do uh, at Truist. He's doing well and doing good. That's the master class lesson here. It's a false choice to say that you can succeed, somebody else has to fail. That you're going to win, but somebody else has to lose. What we're learning now is you can win, win. That you can do well and do good. To. Oh, wait a minute. Do well by doing good is what they're about, what he's about, and what I'm about. That's 21st century building the good life. This is John O'Brien. Building the good life with John Hope Bryant is brought to you by Prudential Financial. 